We're happy to have Kyle speak again this morning. I want to pray for him before he begins. Father, thank you for Kyle's willingness to speak this morning. I pray that you would give him the words that you want him to say, and that you would also speak to him as he speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well today. I hope you've been able to enjoy the fall weather as it moves in. Get a lot done around the house. It's, I was telling Caitlin, I know I always start out by saying good morning and talking about the weather, but there's two reasons for that. One is I have no clue what to say when I start. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and the second one is I love being outside, and I hope that everyone else gets to enjoy God's creation as well. In, in preparing for this and reading through different scriptures and, and praying, there was a verse that constantly kept coming up throughout the last week and a half, and that is, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That is something that continued to be put on my heart. And you know, sometimes whenever I sit in the pews and I would watch different ministers up here, guest speakers, and I know this may sound cynical of me, but sometimes it almost seems as though someone is up here preaching with authority as if they have it figured out, as if this is what it says, this is what you should do. And they're kind of, I don't know, just authoritatively telling us that. And there is a time and a place for that. But at conference, I met a minister from New York named Greg, and we were talking about that and how Scripture weighs on you when you preach. And he said to always remember that you're preaching to the body and you are part of the body. So these sermons are for you as well. And so I come before you today and tell you that this is something that has weighed on me very much. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. Now, oftentimes today, when we hear that in modern Christianity, that is something that can sometimes be applied incorrectly, I guess you would say. We say things when people are having a bad day. Oh, just keep bearing the cross, brother. Keep bearing the cross. But that is not what he is saying. He is not taking some kind of a a stoic statement or something that is to be applied metaphysically. He is telling his disciples in this moment the level of commitment that is going to be required to follow him. That is the point that he is making. And we're going to read that together in the Gospel of Mark. But it's a level of commitment, total commitment to him, leaving yourself behind, carrying the cross and following him. And when you read through Scripture, oftentimes... It doesn't matter your age or how long you've been a Christian or how many times you've heard stories. You will always come across something that stands out to you, right? We've all heard the story of Noah 500 times if we've grown up in church. And yet, even if you're in your 70s and you read through it, something might still stick out to you. And that's part of what makes the Word of God living. That's part of how the Holy Spirit guides us in it, is that it is continually teaching us. And when I was reading through this, it stuck out to me that, Christ is telling his disciples to take up their cross before he was crucified. This is coming before the cross. And sometimes when we read through the scriptures and the time period that we're in, they say hindsight's 2020, right? So we look backwards and we see the teachings of Christ because we know what happens next. But put yourself in the disciples' position. In this moment, Christ had not gone to the cross yet. And so in researching this, I came across a a YouTube channel that I would recommend called Desiring God, and it's by a preacher named John Piper. 
And he does different studies on different sections of scripture. And he was talking about this in Mark eight thirty four, And he said that you need to put yourself in the position of people who lived in the first century, right? What was the cross? What did that mean to them? Well, there was four things that it represented. One was official opposition. If you were sentenced to the cross, you were opposed by your government, you were treated as a criminal, and you lost all rights. It was official opposition. It wasn't like some gang was coming and beating you. Secondly, there was shame. You were stripped, you were beaten, you were publicly ridiculed. You were forced to carry the crossbar that your arms were tethered to, to the place of your execution. There was suffering on top of the public beatings. You were nailed to it with your wrist. Your feet were nailed to it. You were hung, expected to suffocate. If you weren't dead within a few days, they would come and break your legs until you hung there and suffocated in that way. And the fourth thing that the cross represented was death. No matter what, if you were sentenced to the cross... Death was certain. And so let's read through this together and we'll break this down, but kind of keep that imagery there of in this moment what the cross meant to the disciples. So if you would, if you haven't already, turn to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be reading verses 34 through 38. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And there is a lot to unpack when you go through that, a lot to meditate on. But the three things that follow the statement to follow me in verses 35 to 38 are often the three things that keep us as individuals from denying ourselves and from following him. They are self-preservation. A temporal focus on things of this world instead of eternity. And being ashamed of Christ and his teachings. Now in verse 35, whenever it's saying a man that tries to save his life will lose it, there's a very specific word that Jesus is using there, and that is suke. I believe I'm saying that right. Probably not, but it means life and soul. It is interchangeable. And actually, depending on the trans. Uh, translations you have, whether it's King James or NIV or whatever, it might actually say soul in that verse instead of life. And what was getting, what they were going through in the time of this, in the time of Mark recording this, was this was around the time of Nero's persecution of Christians. So when they were reading this, it was speaking of martyrdom to them in that moment. If you try to hang on to your physical existence, you could lose your eternal. But if you're willing to give up your physical existence for the sake of the cross, for the sake of the Gospels, for the sake of Jesus, then eternity is what you will have. And as you continue to read on and you go through 36 and 37, what good does it profit a man to 
<clears throat> to gain the whole world if he loses his soul, that is Satan's Trojan horse. The things of this world, ease, resources, anything you can think of that can take your focus off of eternity. It may even be time, right? I remember in high school, people wouldn't even think about going to church because they would just repent and make things right when they got older and life got boring. Like, that's just how they thought about it. But you never know the time. And when I was reading those two verses, 36 and 37, a parable that Christ says in Luke chapter 12 is what came to my mind. And if you go through that, it's the parable of the rich fool. So there's this man, and he was very wealthy. He had a very good harvest. And he was going to store up all the fruits of his labors. But he had too much. They wouldn't fit in his barns. So he tore his barns down, and he built larger ones. And after he had stored everything, he said to himself, that I now have great joy because I am set for years. I can now take it easy, relax, drink, and be merry. And yet God said to him in that night, you fool, your soul is required of you in this very hour. Chasing the things of this world will distract you from eternity and it may think you that you, may make you think that you have ease, but you don't. All men will always face the Messiah. And in verse 38, ashamed of me and my words. And again, that is something else that stands out in this moment when he's speaking to them. Because the cross does not exist yet. He's not saying if you are ashamed of the cross. He is specifically saying if you are ashamed of me and my words. Me and my teaching. And logic and knowledge and all these other things, they have always been, from the beginning of Christianity, how Satan attacks the church. You can see it in Scripture whenever people thought that Jesus was crazy and how his disciples had to go through things. Paul and every Christian since then, right? We've always been attacked from the world from the standpoint that this doesn't make sense, but we cannot be ashamed of him because he is the logos and he is the breath that gives us life and he is our hope for things yet to come. And so those three points are what is emphasizing verse 34. And when you go through verse 34, there are four questions that John Piper says every Christian must ask himself when he's going through this. And you must examine the world that we exist in right now, right? Used to, whenever you would do apologetics or you would have debates or you would talk to people within your community as Christians, you are always defending the moral standards of Christianity. This is why a traditional family is needed. This is why abortion is evil. And take all these stands from the Bible, right? But the world is starting to shift and it's starting to change. And you can see this when you get online. So I was online and I was watching a, a man speak and he is from Norway and he is a pagan. He openly calls himself a heathen. He has altars to Thor and Loki in his yard and he wears Thor's hammer around his neck. And when he was talking, he was talking about how evil abortion is, how homosexuality goes against nature and how traditional families are needed. And as this pagan was speaking on those moral standards, everyone was listening to him and agreeing with him. But when the Christians started to chime in, they were either cut out of the feed, they were told to be quiet, or they were blocked so that they couldn't give their opinion anymore. It's no longer the moral standards that is going to begin getting us opposed. It is standing on them in the name of Christ 
It is the name of Christ that is going to cause us opposition. And so when you see that, you must ask yourself the question, are you willing to face opposition for his namesake? Are you willing to carry the cross and carry his name and face opposition? Because when you face opposition, you will face shame. You will be shamed. You will be mocked. You will be ridiculed. Are you willing to be shamed for his name's sake? And when you are shamed, suffering will inevitably come with that, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whatever. Because oftentimes when we are shamed for the sake of the gospel, it is coming from people that we love. It is coming from friends we've had our whole life. It's coming from family. It may even be coming from a spouse if you're unequally yoked. Are you willing to suffer for his name? And are you willing to die for self for the sake of the kingdom? Are you willing to give up your own desires for the sake of Christ, for the betterment of the kingdom? To be an example to a lost world. Because the main focus on this is follow me. Follow me, follow me. All throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, you see different times where the children of Israel would follow God. And as they followed, he took care of everything. They simply had to follow. And then you see the disciples saying to follow and Paul begging the church to say to follow. But in this moment, it is powerful and magnetizing because Christ is saying this to his disciples. But think about when Christ says, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. It's always been that way from the beginning, from the time they dove out of the boat and went when he called them, to even now, we are to deny ourselves and follow him. But when you go through this passage and you read different theologians, I came across one named Halford Luckock. He was a a professor at the University of Yale in the early 1900s, and he was speaking on this, on Mark 8:34, And this is what he said. He said, now transfer this to a group of disciples, to a church or an organization. Surely to a church comes the same call of Jesus to deny itself, take up a cross, and follow him. And imagine what a church looks like whose sole focus is Christ. A church that denies itself and goes beyond itself for the furtherment of the kingdom. A church that denies its own passions and denies its own desires. A church that is not ashamed of Christ and not ashamed of his teachings. A church that fully understands that nothing in this world can replace the eternal salvation that we've been given. A church that fully leans on each other, a church that reads the word together, and a church that is like this, a church whose sole focus is Christ Jesus, that church should expect opposition, they should expect to be shamed, they should expect to suffer, but if they die to self, the love that they show the community around them will be something that continues to further the kingdom, something that continues to draw them closer together. And I hope that as we continue to move forward, we continue to lean on each other in this way. We continue to bear the cross and follow me. And I hope that the words follow me continue to be on our heart. Let's pray.
Christ, I thank you for all you've given us. I pray that you continue to guide us in the days ahead. I pray that you continue to to be with church leaders and give them wisdom and strength and energy and continue to lift them up and continue to help them lean on each other. I pray for all of us, Christ, that we just we continue to surrender, Lord. I pray that you continue to work on our hearts, continue to convict us, continue to show us how much you love us, continue to help us to encourage each other as brothers and sisters, continue to help us to pray with each other, to lift each other up. I pray, Lord, that your cross is constantly on our mind and that the desire to preserve self may wane away within all of us and that we continue to be united under your cross and in your blood and move forward. Amen.